Yo, what is up, guys? Matt Whitmore, Keris Marsden of Fitter Food Radio. Good afternoon. Oh, very, very well spoken. <laughs> yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again. This is episode number three. First of all, I just want to say we're absolutely loving doing these podcasts. I mean, it is only episode number three, but we genuinely love them. And uh, thank you so much for people that have messaged us, emailed us uh, with word of thanks and you know, all the, the positive feedback. We do really, really appreciate you taking the time out because that is why we do what we do. We love helping people and knowing that we are is, is a fantastic feeling. We've got some more cracking information for you today. Big topic is going to be surviving Christmas. As you know, it is reaching that festive period now, but it comes with its temptations, should we say. God, honestly, they put, like, the chocolates came out in August this year, I mm. think I saw all the They Christmas always say it's, it is tins. earlier every year, isn't it? It is. It's just unbelievable. But let's face it, you know, there's much more temptation around Christmas and it is Christmas and it is to be enjoyed just like any other time of year. Bizarrely, we had so many questions regarding how to survive the Christmas period and from so many people when we put the post out there, we were recording our podcast. But ironically, Keris has got something to tell you. <laughs> you build that up now. I'm gonna... I have. Quick, make it exciting. <laughs> so basically, we're working on a Christmas ebook packed with Primbo recipes and we're really excited. What's it called? We? Fit Foods. Sur- Christmas Survival Guide? I don't know. Ultimate Guide to <laughs> Surviving Christmas. You always come up with the titles. I just made that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be something like that. <laughs> so I spent the whole morning baking. I've been doing a few cakes, a few dips and starters and snacks. and. Um, There's more to it than that, though. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just going to be dips and snacks. No, and... We've, got, we've, <laughs> we've, bought, we've got about 33 recipes so far and, and counting and counting yeah we've got some big roasts ordered from the butchers we just so ordered a pork. massive joint of pork we actually made this particular recipe last boxing day and it was pretty epic wasn't it it was amazing as soon as we had it we were like next year we have to do a christmas ebook yeah and this recipe has to be in it i was around at keris's parents house last boxing day and it just got the approval from everybody, didn't it? Yeah, which it went down a storm. Yeah, so Fitter Foods Ultimate Guide to Surviving Christmas. I think that sounds really good. Yeah, definitely. Write that down. Okay, <laughs> you just nailed the title. I've actually been working on a awesome plan for you guys out there, and you guys, I mean men. Uh, reason being, we recently ran a twelve-week optimal body project for women which was based on not just nutrition, because, you know, it's much, much more than that, but lifestyle factors such as sleep and stress, adrenal fatigue, etc. And those ladies are nearly nine weeks in now, and they're all doing absolutely awesome. Since we started the plan, I've had an absolute boatload of emails and messages from guys saying, when are you going to do one for us? I think they felt a little bit left out. So my bad. Sorry, guys. But uh, I've been working hard behind the scenes, putting together a nice plan based on, I suppose, this is for, for guys that are looking to add on some lean muscle, reduce body fat, whilst obviously optimizing their hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, etc., and just feeling pretty damn awesome because we are always health first. We don't like shortcuts. We like real results that last, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It'd be interesting to see how the men compare to the women in terms of response and engagement. Yeah, it will be quite interesting, actually. But I think that's going to be quite an exciting project. I'm really looking forward to launching that. It will be good. That's going out in January, guys. We figured, why start a transformation plan now with Christmas around the corner? But uh, So we've got that. um... You probably would have some takers if you did. Yeah, maybe. Keep me on the straight and narrow until Christmas Day. Probably a good pair. We could do the mass gaining segment there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) carb loading. (laughs) Four-day period. (laughs) 
Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. But yeah, so that's launching in Jan, but there'll be more information on that going out there very, very soon. So uh, let's get cracking. Let's get to the questiones. This is a question from a guy called Martin Rackham. He's actually on Team Matt in our 28-day fat loss Kickstarter challenge. This dude is doing absolutely awesome. I want to give him a bit of a shout out actually because this is a guy who was actually already eating pretty damn well on the fit of food front, eating really, really clean, trains pretty hard. However, he has experienced huge benefit, not only from the food, but now the incorporation of getting to sleep early, recovering properly, post-workout nutrition, and he has seen an absolute fantastic result from incorporating that. There's always more to it than you think, guys. It's not as simple as training and eating good food. There's a lot of other factors out there, sleep, stress. We speak about this a hell of a lot. He's incorporated that and he's reaped the benefits and in less than four weeks. So it's a really, really big deal. So good man, Martin, keep that up, mate. His question here is related to cheese. He basically wants to know what the deal with cheese is. A lot of people tend to recommend goat's cheese or feta as better options. Truth be known, the whole cheese dairy thing is pretty huge. We could talk about it for hours on end. We may even cover it solely in another podcast. However, let's keep this really, really simple. Chemist, what are the benefits? What are the pros to dairy? Yeah, okay. First of all, guys, I'd say go back to the first section of Fit Food. We've got a nice little summary on dairy there. Again, as Matt mentioned, sort of pros and cons, good and bad dairy. Big emphasis on the fact that not all dairy is equal. So I suppose in terms of benefits, why you'd want to have a little bit of dairy in your diet, it's a great source of vitamins A, D, E, and K. In particular, there's a vitamin now being identified as K2, which is really important in the regulation of calcium in the body. It sort of decides where calcium does and doesn't go. So it's also important for heart health as well. And that's something that is mainly found in dairy and in liver. So quite vital nutrients. Western A. Price Foundation write a lot about K2, so you can read up a little bit more there. Then you've also got things like the immune support in dairy, because just as we drink breast milk to pass on the immune system support from mother to child, that's exactly what you're getting from drinking an animal's milk as well. So lots of people tout it as fantastic for, you know, sort of supporting immune health. And there's also a fat in there called CLA, which is conjugated linoleic acid. I actually managed to say it right. High five. High five. Thank you. Never normally say that right, but it's a bit of a tongue twister. That fat is often touted as a little bit as a fat-burning fat. You can actually take it as a supplement as well. Lots of dairy contains CLA, so it's a great source. It's an anti-cancer fat too, so worth having. So that's just some of the benefits. And obviously, if you're having dairy that is fermented, I can talk a little bit more about this in a second, but you've got some good bacteria in there. Which sort of brings me to the bad about dairy, and that is often dairy is pasteurized, especially if you're going to buy it in a supermarket. And the pasteurization, the heating of the dairy, really kills off a lot of the beneficial gut bacteria. And that's one thing that we all think that dairy is really good for. But really, when you're having supermarket milk and pasteurized cheeses, you're not getting that benefit. And it also removes quite a lot of the enzymes that you need to digest dairy products, especially lactate, which is really important in the digestion of lactose, which is the milk and sugar. So you're removing some of the things that you really need. And essentially, dairy that's pasteurized is actually a processed food. So it's not really, you know, we talk about a, a natural-based diet and a whole foods diet. Um, and dairy that's pasteurized has been through a process. So it's not the same as nature intended, as it were. Isn't it really important to highlight, though, because, I mean, I know we've mentioned this before and you mentioned pasteurisation. I mean, Martin's question was kind of like, what is the deal with cheese? You know, goat's cheese and feta cheese is a better option. But it's not just about saying, oh, goat's cheese and feta cheese is a better option. Because like you said, different people react differently to different cheeses, etc. 
or yeah. different, different different sources of dairy. Yeah, definitely. So you can be reacting to a couple of things in dairy products. It could be the proteins. So, for example, if it's the protein in cow's milk, you might be better off trying goat's or sheep's dairy and find that you're absolutely fine. But it could be the lactose, which are, across the board is going to be high in milk and cheese, but would be low in something like butter or double cream or cottage cheese, for example. So that's how you sort of test out different products, see what works. Most people find they are much better on unpasteurised cheese, which you will find in some supermarkets. Often delis, we actually go to farmers markets and get raw cream, raw milk, yeah. uh, raw butter. You could actually ferment the dairy yourself if you really wanted to, but this is like a... I actually don't know anybody that does that. No, it is another step. It's quite easy. Lots of people ask about yoghurt. Like people mm. love yoghurt yeah. for a dessert and love it for breakfast. And my take on it is then ferment it yourself. So you could buy any supermarket goat's milk or sheep's milk yoghurt and put it in a, uh, a yoghurt maker, which you can just buy from Lakeland or on Amazon. And you would ferment it for 24 hours and that would just basically grow lots and lots of good bacteria in it. So you'd get huge benefits from eating that food. So that's almost turning it back into a whole food. So anybody listening to this now actually goes and does that and posts <laughs> a picture on the Fitter Food page, we'll get a free signed copy of our book. So there you go. Incentive. I keep meaning to. We brought the yogurt maker and I brought the yogurt, the sheep's yogurt. You always do this. I know, and then it buy, it's sat in the fridge for buy stuff, three weeks. Take up more space and then never use it. And then I never got around to making it. I do intend to at, at some point when I've got more time to well, you, try it. You're not eligible for a free signed copy of the book, by the way. <laughs> Damn. Just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people, dairy is just too insulin spiking for them as well. For actually the proteins, maybe, or the lactose is doing that. So they find they gain weight when they introduce dairy. So you could do something like with ghee, you could actually boil off the lactose by just boiling the butter. We've got a video which we keep meaning to put on uh, YouTube, don't we, of how to make homemade ghee. No, we've is... got the video, we just haven't put it up. No, no. That's I your task for the I day. I promised to do it today. But you've got the password, that's why. I haven't done oh, it yet. <laughs> my bad. Anyway, so yeah, really easy to do. You boil butter in a saucepan and then you sieve it and you get rid of the milk solids and then you've just got the fats, which is you know fantastic source of, of nutrients there. And then, so you can get the same benefits from, say, ghee yeah. as you can unpasteurised butter or whatever, the K2, etc., without, obviously, the lactose and the sugars. Yeah, so you're boiling off the lactose sugar, so that's a good thing. And then, actually, because you've heated it a little bit, you are making it more stable for cooking. So ghee becomes a really good fat to cook with. It actually really enhances the buttery flavour as well, so it's a great... Ghee's awesome. Yeah, it tastes we, amazing. We love it. I mean, the thing is, though, because we actually have so many clients who are lactose intolerant... Yeah who we actually get them to sample using ghee, and they're absolutely fine. Yeah, definitely. I think, as I mentioned, in terms of knowing if you're reacting to dairy, we've got, as we've just said, gaining weight would be one, or that's quite difficult to identify that that was just the dairy. You'd have yeah. to be quite controlled in your introduction of dairy. But secondly is skin. So often when I see skin issues with people, acne, eczema, psoriasis, spots even, I'll, I'll probably say let's remove the dairy, see how you get on, and then start back with raw dairy, ghee, first and just see what happens and some people as well probably just going back to martin's question are dead against the idea that we're supposed to drink the milk of another animal especially a cow which is just you know so vast and in proportion to us mm. and you've got growth factors known as igf1 which is why bodybuilders love milk because obviously for that factor but obviously growth is growth and that could possibly fuel other types of growth in the body like cancer so there is this notion that we should avoid cow's milk, but maybe goats and sheep as smaller animals is slightly better. And again, I still think it goes back to the quality of and the source of the dairy. One last thing I'll say, because I've waffled now already, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> fast asleep. I'm nodding off. Is the, uh, they're actually also now looking at the cow. The type of cow is really significant because you have A1 and A2 cows. 
And A1 cows have quite high levels of a protein that's known to increase risk factors for disease. And um, the, the A1 cow is quite widely bred in, in America, so that's why American dairy can be not great really that's for good. health. Yeah, But actually in the UK, I think Jersey and Guernsey cows are A2 and they have really low levels of uh, lower levels of, of these sort of proteins that we might be allergic to and, and the increased risk factors for disease. And actually, the, the last time I looked at a really good sheep's milk, it was labelled on the back A2. Was Sheep, it? Sheep's milk. How can it be so a cow? Oh, God, Sorry. God, I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> Sorry. It was a, normally quite observant. It was, it was a cow's milk yogurt and a cream, and they were both labelled A2. Oh, so awesome. good farmers are telling you, they're shouting about how how their breeds are grass-fed A2 and, and whatever else. So Because the thing is with dairy, I mean, whenever we work with people, you know, individuals, the guys on our plans, etc., we always initially remove dairy, don't we? Yeah. Because nine times out of ten, I don't care who the person is or what their goals are, they feel better for taking dairy out. And truth be known, like, we don't believe a diet to... that. I mean, there are some, like, tribes and cultures that actually thrive on, on dairy, don't they? Yeah, they do. They live on things like milk and the blood of other animals. Yeah, but, you know, unfortunately... <laughs> Which that, you is know, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mixture of milk and blood. You know, that's not how we, we are. That's not in within our culture, so therefore it wouldn't really make sense to eat a diet that's massively rich in dairy, especially, like Kerry said, it, it is actually quite tough to get good quality dairy now so we very rarely meet anybody that doesn't experience benefit from taking dairy out but then what's important is that when you do reintroduce it as Keris mentioned just gauge how your body responds to it you know if you do get a bit mucusy if you do break out in spots if you do have blood sugar crashes etc chances are your, your body just doesn't deal with it very well and you may just have to come to terms with the fact that you know, you can't have any more cheese. Oh, no. Because the other thing about cheese is it is addictive. It actually acts on opiate receptors in the brain. So the other side of, of it is if people are just overdoing it, I often suggest taking it out and then adding it back in in moderation, yeah. just like we do with coffee, with chocolate, and all the other sort of, you know, addictive foods. But for some people, it, it just keeps them on, on the straight and narrow a little bit. So if they can yeah. have a little bit of grated parmesan on their meatballs and, and courgette spaghetti, they feel that that's... You know, that's enough. That's enough, and they don't then have to go and look at look for a dessert or whatever, yeah. or crave the pasta that they might be dropping out or the bread. So, it can be it can just help people. It's yeah, a no, deal no, breaker. totally, totally. I mean, long term. Definitely. There are recipes in our book, as you know, those dairy. of you that have read it that have that have got uh, dairy in there. Although we do suggest good quality where possible. I mean, because the funniest thing is, I can actually have dairy. We always go for either unpasteurized or things like hard cheeses or goat's cheese, as Martin mentioned, and. If I do it in moderation, I'm actually okay. But if I just go a bit overboard, which every now and again I do, and I just have it a bit too frequently, I get very mucusy. I get I get quite congested on my chest and throat, which is really weird. Like 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 having flu-like symptoms, but without actually having flu. My nose gets itchy and red and runs a lot, which is not good. However, we were at the farmers market on Sunday, and I got myself some full fat, unpasteurized milk. And I've mentioned this example before, and I necked a pint of it, and I was absolutely fine, wasn't I? Yeah. I didn't have any side effects, and, you know, so that just goes to show you. Whereas sometimes I can have a bit of regular t uh, milk in my tea, and my body just goes loco, doesn't it? You get a massive yellow head on your forehead. Good old, big old, big old milk spot. Milk <laughs> spot. <laughs> one, one last point for you as well. Given that you've had quite a lot of gut issues um, <clears throat> in the past, there's... In the processing of cheese, they often use things like yeast, fungi, and bacteria. So it could be that you react to those as well. So it might be that it's it's as in it could be cheese that, that doesn't actually you know agree with you because of the aging process or whatever. But you're fine with a bit of butter. So so in a nutshell, 
<laughs> wow. In a nutshell, uh, I what, would... what is your view on dairy? Martin wants to know, goat cheese, feta cheese, is it better, blah, blah, blah. I'd what... say remove and then reintroduce dairy and I would start with butter or ghee and then I would start with some unpasteurised goats or sheep's cheese and if that was fine and that made you happy, I'd probably stop there. I don't see many people do that well on, on cows, dairy and milk. Just don't go too crazy on it. Don't go too crazy. Boom. So it could be like once, twice a week thing. Awesome. Like it. Good stuff. Right. Uh, hope that helped Martin, mate. Um, if you're still awake. <laughs> yeah. Next question. This is from Helen Hawkins. And I think this is a brilliant question. And uh, we actually gauge <laughs> what questions we're going to use by how many likes they get when we post them. And this one got a lot of likes. And it's actually something that we deal with with individuals, male or male, female, regardless of the goals, this always comes up at some point, all right? And this is from Helen Hawkins, and she wants to know, how do you come back from going off plan with the guilt, psychological shame, etc.? Like I said, this is so common, it's insane. So it's a tough one because when you, you know, you're following a, a nutrition plan, be it for fat loss, for your health, uh, you know, just improving your training recovery performance etc there is always um there's always going to be moments where you you may crave certain foods you may be in a situation where where you're socializing a social event etc to where there's other temptations there sometimes there's an element of guilt sometimes there's not but the thing is and this is something that we work with all of our clients and something that we worked with uh, the ladies in our 12-week plan a lot is that you know, what's done is done. There's no point in dwelling on uh, an action that you took that's in the past, you've done it, it's behind you. And if you do feel guilty, and if you do feel bad, and your body's responding in a particular way, i.e. bloating, your skin's broken out, etc., then it's a lesson to be learned. So rather than feeling guilty, use it as a lesson, learn from it, and don't beat yourself up about it, because that is how you go right back to square one. You know, you start feeling guilty and then who knows, you may comfort it again. You may think, oh, well, sorry, I've already gone off plan. I might as well keep going and just resume on Monday, which is the, the kind of typical equation. But, you know, it, it will happen. Uh, you know, I, I haven't met anybody on any of our plans, be it one-to-one -one or group. And we've done hundreds, potentially thousands, probably is thousands over the years. Everybody goes off plan. Absolutely everybody. And the ones that say that they haven't are lying. It's as simple as that. So simply just do not beat yourself up about it. Don't do it often because, like I said, you know, there, there, there's there's moments of weakness, if you like, or maybe that's the wrong word, or moments of uh, temptation. You may, might make the bad decision. And you know it's a bad decision because you feel guilty about it. Um, if you didn't feel guilty, then it wouldn't have been a bad decision. It's a choice you've just made. And that's the biggest thing is that if you're going to have a treat, have a treat, but enjoy it. Don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy it. Make the most of it, knowing that you're strong enough that the next day you can just crack on, have a really nice breakfast and resume back to normal. But if that particular food you ate, I mean, we just spoke about dairy, um, has made you feel pretty crappy, a bit groggy, low in energy, bloating, lethargic, whatever it may be, then it's also a sign that that food isn't working for you. So you got to need to weigh up the pros and the cons of, was it really worth it? I feel pretty crap and I feel guilty so you know and the whole idea of our book was to to show you that you can actually still eat some really great tasting foods minus the guilt uh, that are nutritionally dense so quite simply do not beat yourself up about it. it's the main thing it's in the past do not dwell on it 
the other point I'd probably make is is look at the drivers for for why you went off the rails. For some people, you know, obviously it could be emotional distress, and as Matt mentioned, so you're you're seeking comfort in food. So it's probably about addressing that in a different way. You know, are you too stressed? Are you run down? Is that making you crave something in food? In which case, sort out the stress levels first. We talk about a lot about that on different podcasts, haven't we? I think yeah. we covered that by now. And then also, you know, getting your blood sugar under control is really important for that sort of thing. And, and then you won't get those cravings. If it's social occasions, which is the biggest one we get, oh, I was on a night out and my friends were saying, do this, do that. You know, I'd start to say, if you if you don't really have the willpower to say, I don't want that, I'm not going to do that. And you know, you'll get pressure, then probably choose different friends. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> choose different social occasions. So go to the cinema, take your own snacks. We take our little cinema mix, don't we? Yeah. Um, you know, go and eat a good steak restaurant with a couple of mates where you can have a decent, healthy meal that's not going to look that different to what most people are having on a Saturday night. Or host a dinner party and cook up a great feast. We do that loads, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And we get all our friends eating and, and they do the same. They invite us over and, and, and cook up a food feast and, um, and it's great. It doesn't feel like we're missing out at all, does no, it? No, no, not at all. So yeah, socially you can sort of make take control of that situation I think and yeah and make it healthier well the thing is I think that like I said that there will always be temptation yeah you know you just got to kind of weigh up whether the temptation is worth giving into and if there is another option yeah definitely someone posted in a, one of the groups the other day actually in fact uh, his name's Darren Darren Dix a guy that we he's the the judge if you like on the team <laughs> at team Keris fat loss kickstarter challenge I'm bribing him yeah, I noticed. Um, but he made a fantastic point in the group because this comes up a hell of a lot when people talk about, you know, when I go out and I'm with my friends, there's like an element of peer pressure to drink or, you know, just kind of eat crappy food. And he kind of emphasised the point of, you know, rather than saying, if there's a bit of pressure to maybe drink, for example, rather than saying, oh, um, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be having that. It's not part of my plan. And actually turning around and saying, I don't want to drink. Not that I'm not drinking, I don't want to have a drink. You know, you've made a statement. It's not a, It's not open for discussion, so to speak. So um, I think that's I've a... I've gone off beer. That's a good one. Gone off beer. <laughs> yeah. Just don't like it anymore. No one will believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be realistic here. <laughs> gone off all alcohol. Makes me feel rough. That's it. End of. No. That just wouldn't work, Keris. <laughs> I'll try it on the next night. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I would say. Don't sweat it. Don't don't let it kind of eat you up. Just move on. <laughs> no pun intended there. Uh, just move on and just make sure that you're good as gold the next day and and learn from from you know from everything your your body like kind of throws at you with regards to how you feel the guilt and, and any other kind of side effects that you may have had from eating or drinking uh, those particular foods. Right. This is a th- this is the question we were talking about earlier regarding Christmas. Two people asked this, and I'm going to tell you both their names purely because one of them is just quite ironic because her name is Sharon Christmas, <laughs> uh, but it's actually spelled C-H-R-I-S-M-A-S, so there's no T, but nonetheless, it's quite funny. Do you think she likes Christmas, though, or does she sick of it after? I don't know. She might hate it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, Rob Love, as well, he asked the question, and it was uh, basically, any tips for sensible rules and targets uh, that we can set that are realistic for the Christmas period? I know I love how he touched on sensible rules and realistic targets. <laughs> yeah. um, thing is, abstinence when, is not going to be. <laughs> when it comes to Christmas, you know we we love Christmas. I think I love Christmas a bit more than you. Yeah, you do. I'm like a little snack. kid or a big kid, should I say? And um, you've already brought decorations. I know. I love it. Got a Santa Claus up already on the kitchen door. <laughs> 
can never can never start too early. But um, the thing is, guys, when it comes to Christmas, as we mentioned before, you know, there's always temptation at Christmas. Even more so, it's just that kind of time of year when people just say, you know, forget it, you know, it's Christmas, whatever. I'll start again in January. But personally, it's a poor attitude to have because why would you want to start the year feeling like shite? I just don't get it. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, until a few years ago when I turned to a more natural way of eating, I was that person, you know, I'd absolutely go to town at Christmas, but I'd always feel pretty crappy for it. But so it's all just about um, damage limitation, I suppose. In the, Yeah, definitely. You need to come to terms with the fact that you will be drinking. You know, there's going to be occasions when you're going to enjoy a few drinks in terms of food, you know, Christmas puds, chocolate. You said that with quite a lot of conviction. You will be drinking. Yeah, you what, will what if drink. someone decided they're not going to? Well, yeah, fair play to them. <laughs> but, you know, even I, you know, I like to have a few drinks over Christmas. I don't go crazy. No. But I enjoy a few drinks more so than I normally would. But the thing is, just because it's Christmas, it's not a license to just go crazy and eat crap and put on loads and loads of weight. Same as when, for me, when you go on holiday, you know, people go on holiday for a week and put on half a stone. I just think, well, why would you do that? You know, it's it's not a license to just go all out. So for me, surviving Christmas is just treat it just like the rest of the year, just with like a few additions of a few bevies here and there and, and a few treats. But... There's a big difference to a couple of beers and a bit of, bit of pudding to 12 beers, a bit of pudding, kebab on the way home, whatever it may be. Just get on top of that. Just stick to your principles as much as you can most of the time. I mean, if you look at a Christmas dinner, it's actually a pretty damn healthy meal, right? Well, that's the thing I don't I get often when people... Um, I'm often so full after a massive roast and all the veg and potatoes. But you can never be too full for, your, <laughs> for, for Christmas food. Last year I was, because my mum always does a starter. She always does prawns and avocado. And I, I was just absolutely stuffed. So I think I had like two mince pies and a couple of chocolates and then went back for turkey supper. I just The thing is, you know, we've eaten this way for quite a while and I crave more savoury stuff than I do sweet which is a bit of a godsend I still love making my desserts and chocolates but same as you I, I, like December for me is like any other month I don't treat it any differently obviously we have a couple of parties that we go to I might have a couple of glasses of red wine nothing you know too crazy I just I've made that connection that you've talked about where I don't want to feel crap the next day I don't want to gain weight I don't want to spend half of the holiday stressing that I've you know my cheeks have just expanded like a hamster, which which is where I tend to gain the weight first. So I'm a blessed I'm blessed a little bit like that. The thing is with Christmas though, for me, it's 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 about the experience, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's the, being with friends and family. Yeah, you know, and, and actually enjoying it for what it is. And for me, that that's what it's all about. Would Christmas be the same without my family? No, it wouldn't. Would Christmas be the same if I didn't drink? Well, actually, yeah, it would, because I'd be with the people that I love and the people that I enjoy spending time with. And and that's the most important thing. So we always, unless you are with people that you don't like, and then in which case you're drinking just to get through it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the case. But yeah, I would just say, you know, don't sweat it. Stick to the principles that you normally would any other time of the year. You know, giving yourself a little bit of leeway, so to speak. Yeah, I think if you've got like, if, if you got invited to three parties Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that you knew were going to be big, boozy affairs, you know, maybe dive out of one or, you know, just try not to... I don't know, I I just wouldn't overload your social diary Mm. so much that you end up lacking so much sleep, having to skip the gym or, you know, not getting any sort of exercise done because you're so exhausted from late nights. There's, there's like, different things you can do, I think, to to minimise the effect of 
because it is normally the drink, isn't Damage, it? Sorry. The people blame. Mm. Yeah. Over the Christmas, it's the booze, the drink, it's the... Yeah, the you gym's know, normally the, empty. The, the work do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the gym's dead until January. And then, you know, so work do's, catching up with your pals, you know, Christmas parties, whatever it may be. But the thing is, we hi- what we highlight with people on the whole uh, alcohol front is that it's it's not always just the alcohol uh, that, that does you in. It's the aftermath, you know. It's the decisions the, you make when drinking alcohol. Yeah, you know, like, you, you, know, you know how it is. It might be kebab shop on the way home. Then you wake up the next day hungover. You start the day with a poor quality breakfast. And then because of what the alcohol does to you and it drops your blood sugar levels so low after spiking it, your body just craves sugar and crap. And that's where the damage comes in. I mean, I've got clients that are big, big drinkers, but they've actually worked out that if they eat really well outside of that, A, they tend to uh, handle their drink a bit better. B, they wake up with less of a hangover and just a little bit more on it. But actually see the main thing, and I'm not promoting this by the way, I'm just giving you an example, can actually stay on top of their body composition and their weight a lot, lot better. But more often than not, like I said, the whole booze thing has a massive carryover to to what you eat and the other decisions you make, like Kerry said. So Christmas, it's the same as any time of year, just a bit more red and festive. And <laughs> and actually you've got more time generally. Well, maybe not because if you've got family, you're <coughs> busy Christmas shopping, but we tend to find our, our work will slow down a little bit over the Christmas period and um, we can get out more and do loads of long walks, get to the gym a little bit more often if we wanted to. We've got more free time, haven't we? So yeah. I think use the Christmas holiday to, to do stuff like get out early and, and you know, go on a nice little run or walk or whatever, get some fresh air, get outdoors, get a few early nights in between the late nights where you might be partying a little bit. One thing I'd say about a quick thing on alcohol as well is try and have it with food and try and have it earlier in the day so it's out your system. Yeah, good food. Out your system by the evening so it doesn't affect your sleep. Um, And we always um, say we were, not that we ever do drink, do we, Matthew? Don't. (laughs) (laughs) If we are to go out, we'll tend to put like a big roast in the fridge or some burgers or something so that when you get in a little bit hungry or you know even on the way home we'll be like no we know we've got some good stuff in to have supper when we get home that's a really good point actually because you know you know like uh, because of the decisions you may make when you've had a few beers or wine whatever it may be it's i mean we're big on food preparation we always believe you should always have something to hand in the fridge like kerry said be it some burgers scotch eggs or whatever just something you can grab like almost immediately when you get in and that makes such a huge difference so you know always be prepared as often as you can but yeah i hope that answers your question read the uh, the christmas front one of the ladies on our optimal body project asked about how do you talk to friends that you think might need to look at their address their nutrition and health a little bit um or maybe just all your friends i know when i start to read up on on nutrition i start to get a bit concerned about anyone that's eating you know a bit of a rubbish diet yeah and even if they think they're being healthy eating cereal and wholemeal bread and and you want to tell them you know there's better choices to make but you um one thing i've definitely learned is is obviously like the more aggressive and the more sort of forward you are in your approach (laughs) the less likely people are to listen just like when you nag your other half about piling the dishes in the sink you know without putting the water in first matthew (laughs) <laughs> um, it'll just keep doing it more and more maybe just to spite you but um no that's that's not necessarily the case but I would say that you know sort of a gentle approach is always necessary often just being an example to your to your friends when they see that you know you've experienced a difference in your skin in your body composition lost weight you're much more positive you're much more confident because of the changes you've made with the foods that you eat and, and reducing stress in your life and getting to sleep earlier 
you know, obviously they want what you have. So that's just one way of doing it really gently. And, and to keep talking about the benefits in a way that isn't like going on and on about how brilliant you feel, obviously that could get quite annoying, I suppose. But just things like posting up a meal you've had on Facebook can generate interest, um, you know, amongst yeah. friends. Oh, you know, I did courgette spaghetti and meatballs today. I did sweet potato chips instead of, um, you know, normal chips. And they can start to see healthier changes that you're making. Getting them over for dinner and just putting on a whole fit of food spread we mentioned earlier is a great way of showing people how tasty and easy it is to eat healthy food. When you go out for meeting them for lunch and things like that, perhaps taking along a little homemade um, cake or some you know, dark chocolate and coconut and say, oh, this is what I have as a snack now rather than going for a muffin. Practically showing people, don't mm. you think, is probably a nicer, gentler way of, of sort of showing them. But her friends in particular are both very overweight and... Um... Her, their daughter is actually her goddaughter and she's obviously genuinely concerned about their health uh, above all you know and that's what it's all about is is people's health and we know firsthand that if there's if it's someone you care about and and you are in the know somewhat and you want to help them we know don't we that it is actually really difficult to get that across to people yeah definitely i think the one experience I have of this is is with family, um, especially with my parents. And, you know, I'm guilty of probably getting a bit too emotional with parents. But both you and I have had to ha sit down and have conversations mm. with our parents and say, look, it's we want you around for, for as long as possible for babysitting duties and dog, <laughs> dog sitting duties. And therefore, it's really important that you start to look after yourself and invest more time in, in nutrition and stress reduction and, and health generally. And... These are things that I think probably work against that and just making suggestions. But also sending podcasts, buying them books um, is a really good idea. I know that's how my parents are just continuing to grow in their knowledge. And, and sometimes my dad tells me things and I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> he's getting to know more than I am. <laughs> so because he just listens to different, you know, podcasts. Your dad's amazing in that Religiously, sense. yeah. And, and my mum is very interested. So it's, it's brilliant now. And obviously hearing it from a number of sources works a lot better for friends and family so that it's not always you. Well, my mum actually, um, she gave up smoking a fair few years ago, which was amazing. Bizarrely, she, she started again. Must have been... Uh, it's when you moved back home. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't cope with the stress. But she started smoking again. I was really upset about it because, you know, like she had done so well, etc. And I, I just sat down with her one day and I, I was just really honest. And I just said, Mum, you know, I'm genuinely concerned and, you know, I want you to be as healthy as possible. And more importantly, I want you to be here for as long as possible and I want you to you know um be a healthy grandmother to our kids when we have them and and I feel that it actually really really worked and lo and behold my mum has been uh she hasn't smoked for over a year now no it's fantastic. that's amazing isn't really it really good yeah as well as you losing uh, over two stone in weight through following fit food recipes so sometimes it is just about you know don't be afraid to sit down with them and just get your point across that you are genuinely concerned about them because, I mean, they're not going to be offended by that because you're a friend and the fact that you're concerned for their health and well-being and that of their child as well. Uh, they may be a bit resistant, a bit defensive at first, but I think overall they'll be actually touched that, you know, you do care and you've taken the time out. So that would be my advice to, you know, be it friend, family, whatever, sit them down, let them know your concerns and and have a chat about it and you never know what will come from the conversation something might come to light that you didn't know about or there's something that you could potentially be of help with and and, and who knows yeah definitely yeah yeah agreed we're gonna finish with a quick question it's a really good question and it's something that we've been getting quite a lot lately it's from a guy called james adamson 
and he said, hey guys, you covered nutrition pre-training in the last podcast, but what would you recommend for endurance racing on a trail slash mountain course lasting three to five hours? You suggested not eating less than two hours before training. Does this change for endurance racing? That's such a big question to cover. I can think of millions of things to say. The reason we say not to eat two and a half to three hours before is digestion and you really don't want to be entering a race still digesting food. I'd stick with that principle. Generally, your digestion needs to be looked after 100% throughout your training. So, you know, in, in the weeks building up to your event, you need to be making sure you're perhaps doing things like taking a little bit of glutamine, drinking things like homemade bone broths and stocks. Avoid too many grains. If possible, you might want to do white rice, obviously, and quinoa and maybe some buckwheat to support your training. So I would do something like a, a decent breakfast, put some carbs in there for sure, probably something like quinoa or maybe potatoes, white or sweet potatoes. You're going to have fats and protein, so it's going to make it nice and slow release anyway. Get that three-hour gap in and then spend that three hours hydrating, just gently sipping on water. Don't gulp it down. You don't want to be sort of dashing to the loo as well too much. Get some electrolytes in that water that you're sipping as well. And then just before the race, something like free-form amino acids I would take in. And then during you would want things like carbohydrate gels which have got electrolytes in with them intra event nutrition i'm just big on making it pre-digested i know there's some ultra marathon runners out there who eat kettle chips and eat white bread on their runs some people might get away with that i'd personally think that's a little bit aggressive on the gut and i would favor free form amino acids would, coconut would you oil. say taking on food I mean, because I would have said, I mean, you said three to five hours. Wouldn't you say there's actually quite a big difference in what you may take on between it being nearer to three hours or nearer to five hours? Yeah, but I think anything over 90 minutes, you've got to take stuff on, definitely. And I would say some people might get away with just a few carbohydrate gels, like uh, I think Kinetic do one. I can't remember the other brands. And free-form amino acids and coconut oil would all be pre-digested and basically go straight to where it's needed to, to fuel your session. Some people tell me that glucose gels can really upset their guts as they're doing the event, but then the event itself is going to stress the gut as well. In terms of taking on whole food, as in eating actual food, it's going to be really unique to the individual. What you are going to want to favour is something like glucose and maybe a little bit of fructose to replenish liver glycogen and muscle glycogen. And obviously fructose which is found in fruits, it's the sugar in fruits, is going to help improve the transport of glucose into the cells as well. So maybe something like rice cakes with a little bit of honey, that's your, your favourite one, isn't it? Yeah. Would be um, you know, a decent one to do. It just depends on, on what the nature of the event is. Is it constant running or is it hiking or is it a bit of cycling? That would affect, is the gut sort of being jiggled around? I know yeah. that sounds silly, but that's, that's going to, what could you take on in that time? I know personally... When I used to do running, I couldn't do any intra-event nutrition because it would just literally stitch me and make me feel quite dreadful other than sort of liquid stuff. So that's what I stuck to. And even actually on a race day, I was quite bad in that I'd eat so lightly the morning of a race, sort of a carbohydrate and, and fat-based snack, but very small. And I yeah. would spend the weeks before sort of increase the number of meals I had rather than carb loading in any one meal. I'd have an extra meal in the couple of weeks before. A lot of people talk about doing carb depletion, it's not something I ever did when I was training, but I didn't know a lot about it at the time. It might be something you want to test out, but bear in mind that you want to just make sure you don't go too far with that. It's going to affect your mindset and mood and, and, and training as well a little bit. I would say the weeks before is when you start to add in loads of, uh, stick with the anti-inflammatory stuff, so loads of uh, good veg, herbs, spices. I'd stick with lots of root veg, and you want some high GI carbs in there, so white rice, as I said, quinoa, that, that sort of stuff to, to load up. 
you want about 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour of your event, depending on your body mass and what the intensity of the event is. And a carb gel is about 20, so you know you might be looking at taking on sort of two to three of them, see how that improves performance. We often say that a lot of people, when they talk about pre, intra and post-workout, we sometimes worry that they place too much attention on that. Don't get me wrong, it's hugely important, but we always say that what's also really important is that you enter in that event or race or training session fully loaded if you like you know so you need to make sure that your glycogen stores are kind of optimal that you're not depleted you're not dehydrated because it's all well and good having your intra workout nutrition but if you're already entering we say this a lot if you've already entered that event or race dehydrated or lacking in carbs or whatever it may be because your meals for the, the few days in the run-up weren't too good then that has a massive impact, right? So Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the one lesson I learned, so I, I only did one half marathon where I sort of, um, I didn't even go for a decent time. I did my first half marathon and I was like, I just, I'm quite competitive when I get in the spirit of things. So You're an awesome time. Yeah, it's one hour 35 and I think I'd, I'd estimated I was going to get 150. That's the group yeah. that I entered in. So I had a little bit of a job getting <laughs> up there as well to get my time. But the morning of my race, I'll never forget it, I had a tablespoon of peanut butter. Don't get me wrong, I knew nothing about nutrition really at that point. I was just a runner who loved running. But in the weeks beforehand was when I was just making sure my meals were nutritious. And again, I carb loaded with the wrong sorts of carbs at that time. But, you know, it clearly worked for me. People do, as Matt said, too much emphasis on the hour before. It's what you do the weeks before. And as I said, supporting the gut with glutamine and, and possibly a probiotic as well would be um, would be a good idea. And just making sure you don't overdo the training. So don't get too carried away following the programs of others or suggested online. Listen to your body. And I generally didn't do that much running to prepare for a half marathon. I did a lot less than everybody else in the race. I did um, quite a lot of low impact work, the interval training on a rowing machine. I did a lot of kettlebell training. Um, I tried to keep impact to a minimum just beforehand so I didn't injure myself at all. And then obviously in the in the couple of hours after the event, that's when it's important just to reload. But chatting to one of our friends, Matt Perkins, this weekend, he's actually going to run New York Marathon. Um, and he's wearing his Paleo Primer t-shirt, isn't he? Wee. That's fantastic. He said that after a, a big event, he just doesn't feel like eating anything and can sometimes wander about for an hour just at the finish line chatting with people and excited about his time and not actually refuel Um, and what I said to him was at least have some free-form aminos a good protein shake and then maybe something like home-baked snacks so like our banana bread which is on our website that's a bit of a post-workout favorite that yeah definitely and you might want to add actual sugar to it to increase the, the glucose in there what he did say is that you tend to want something nice I think he said that he went and had fish and chips once after a really big event that he did so again if you could bake some sweet potatoes or some potatoes cover them in salt and vinegar and and get those down you at the finish line that would be good as well so guys uh, less on the questions this week but a little bit more on kind of us and what we're about and some of the things that we do because we do feel like you know that kind of thing is very important but yeah that's a wrap on episode number three if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a a review that'd be absolutely fantastic we really appreciate that because that's what kind of ensures that all these things keep on going and we can continue to try and help as many people as we humanly possibly can so yeah keep it all coming keep the questions coming guys via email or on the facebook page and yeah have a fantastic day and we shall uh, catch you over in episode four Bye. Ta-ra.